Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Making the Call. Uh, I'll be joined by Alex here in a second. We'll be going through uh, a few kind of big sports stories. We'll be talking about uh, Derek Lively's ceiling, Rob Manfred as a commissioner, how to fix the NBA, uh, some offseason moves we still want to see for my Rangers and his Mariners. So we've got a, a great uh, rest of the podcast here coming up in a little bit. But for the intro this week, I wanted to talk about uh, the case for Luca's MVP. And before I get into that, I want to do just a few kind of like programming notes for the podcast. So if you noticed this past week, if you listen on Spotify, which I do recommend you do, um, not only can you listen, but you can also watch. So we will have video episodes, video versions of this podcast on Spotify exclusively moving forward. If you listen on Apple, you can still do that. Great. If you watch live on YouTube, awesome. Please continue to do that. Uh, but this is another way to consume the podcast, especially if you want to watch us, but you're not tuning in live on Monday nights. You know, that doesn't fit with your schedule or whatever. You can watch us on Spotify. So just wanted to make sure if you didn't already know that we posted it on socials, but in case you missed it, video podcasts are now live on Spotify and that'll be what, that'll be what to expect moving forward, which is something we're really excited about. Um, I also mentioned that last week. As we move into the offseason, kind of the structure of the show is going to change. And by offseason, I mean, of course, NFL offseason. One of the things that's going to change is I'm going to be trying to do these solo intro segments each week. Uh, Sometimes they're five minutes. Sometimes they're 15 minutes. It just kind of depends. I'm going to pick a different topic that I want to speak on uh, that's, you know, different from what the rest of the show is going to be about. So last week, I kind of gave some words of encouragement to Texas Rangers fans saying, hey, don't worry about if the team starts off slow, um, that is even more applicable now because we know Josh Young is uh, going to miss two to three weeks of spring training. Corey Seager is nursing a uh, sports hernia. Um, things might be rough out, out of the gate. Uh, so that's kind of what I spoke about. But for this week's uh, intro, I want to talk about Luka Doncic. Uh, it's the uh, All-Star break. All-Star game was Sunday. I want to talk specifically about his case for the MVP. Uh, and specifically on why he should be the MVP, or at least why he should be considered the favorite for the MVP at this current point. Tim Bontemps of ESPN does a MVP straw poll a few times throughout the NBA season, where he takes a poll of 100 media members. A lot of these media members have votes. These are a lot of these media members are the guys who guys and girls who vote on the uh, NBA MVP. MVP. He takes a straw poll of 100 media members on how they would vote for the MVP. So they do the full ranking like you would do. And in the latest one, which took place a week ago, I think exactly a week ago today, Luca came in fourth place. Uh, He also only received three first place votes. The guys who finished above him, Jokic came in first. Shea Gilgis-Alexander was second and Giannis was third. You noticed I didn't I didn't try his last name because Antetokounmpo. See, I can do it, but I don't want to mess up. Uh, so Jokic, SGA, Giannis, and then Luka came in fourth. Since those are the three who finished above him, those are going to be three the three that I'm going to be comparing him to today. And why, hopefully, by the end of this, you will agree with me that Luka Doncic has been the MVP and should be the MVP if we are being honest about what that award should be. Let's start, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a bunch of reasons why he should be, but let's start with the two knocks on Luca because these are the two big talking points. So let's address those right off the bat games played. Luca has played 47 games. SGA and Jokic are at 53. Giannis is at 54. If you think a six to seven games played difference is enough to decide the MVP, that's on you. I don't think it is, but I'm just going to refer, I'm going to mention it right now. Uh, the other, the second big knock team record. Uh, yes, this is an individual player award, but it would be silly to ignore the fact that the team's record does have an impact. Specifically, you need to be, I think, a top four seed to be considered the MVP. Let's look at their seed and their record for these four teams. OKC, so SGA's team, is a two seed in the West, and they're 37 and 17 at the All-Star break. The Denver Nuggets, Kola Jokic's team, is a four seed in the West, and they're 36 and 19 at the All-Star break. You go out to the East, Giannis and his Milwaukee Bucks are the three seed in the East, and they are 35 and 21. Luka Doncic and the Mavs are the seventh seed in the West, 
they were 32 and 23. When you list it out like that, the record, I think, shouldn't be a huge factor. At the All-Star break, the Mavs are five and a half games back of OKC. They're only four back of the Nuggets, and they're two and a half games back of the Bucks. Now, the Bucks are in the East, so you say games back, not exactly, just in terms of their pure standings, two and a half games back of Giannis and the Bucks. Okay, those are the two knocks. Let's get into the statistical resume for Luka Doncic. Quick disclaimer, I've been working on this. I've been working on kind of getting my notes together for this uh, for this intro for almost a week now. Um, I believe when I compiled all these stats, there was maybe one game left before the All-Star break. So the exact numbers might be slightly different, but the overall story, the overall resumes are the same. Um, just, I wanted to reference that now so that if anyone says, oh, you said Luca's 34.3 points, but really he's 34.2. Okay. Layoff. That's, there was one game unaccounted for everything still holds true. Luca's most points per game out of these four players, 34.3, uh, SGA is 31.1, Giannis 30.7, Jokic 26.3. Luca has the most assists per game at 9.6. Jokic is at nine which is close. Uh, SGA at 6.5. Giannis is at 6.3. If we look at the points a little bit deeper, let's talk free throws because some haters of Luca will say, oh, well, he hunts free throws. Well, actually, Luca has the uh, is at 9.5 free throw attempts per game. SGA is at 9.1. Giannis is at 11. And Jokic is at 5.7. Luca, if you take away the free throws from his point total, he still has the most non-free throw points per game at 26.7. SGA is at 23.1. Giannis is at 23.5. And Jokic is at 21.7. So you remove the free throws from the equation. Luca still has a three-point lead on the next best guy out of these top four. He's also playing the most minutes per game. The Mavs have been riding him every single night. Some of these nights, he's playing 40, 42, 44 minutes a game. Uh, he is at 37.6 minutes per game. The next up is Giannis at 34.9, followed by SGA at 34.5, and Jokic at 33.7. Okay, you want to talk more scoring? Let's talk about three-point percentage because it is a three-point shooting league. Obviously, Luca is the best three-point shooter out of these bunch. He leads in three-point percentage at 37.9%. Uh, SGA is a little bit behind him at 37.1%. However, Luca is at 10.33s 10, 10. a game, three, or three-point attempts per game, sorry. Luca is at 10.3 three-point attempts per game. SGA is at 33 Jokic is at 2.9 and Giannis is at 1.8. So Luca's making 37.6%. I'm sorry. Luca's making 37.9% of his threes on over 10 a game. By far and away, the better three point shooter out of this bunch. Let's go into scoring a little bit deeper. What do you love from an MVP? You love a guy who can go nuclear in the scoring department. If you look at 35-point games, so these are these are the instances where this guy just carries you, right? Like he is the bulk of your scoring. 35-plus point games. Luka's at 21. Giannis is at 15. SGA is at 12. Jokic is at 7. What about 40-plus point games? Luka's at 10. Giannis at 7. SGA at 5. Jokic at 1. What about 50-point games? Luka's at 2. Giannis is at 2. SGA and Jokic both at 0. I mentioned he leads in points per games and assists per games. In fact, if you look at his scored plus assisted points per game, so basically all the points that he is responsible for, whether it's an assist from him or a bucket from him, he is at 59 points per game, which is 11 more than each of the other three. SGA is at 48.6, Giannis at 48.2, Jokic at 48.5. His number of 59 scored and assisted points per game is on pace for the most in a single season in NBA history. It would shatter that record. Okay. You look at his potential assists. He also leads there in terms of a shot creator for his his teammates. 16.6, Jokic 14.5, 
Giannis, 12.5. SGA, 12.4. So he's getting his players involved, his teammates involved more than anyone else. Assisted points created. He also leads in that category, 24.7. Jokic at 22.2. Giannis at 17.5. SGA at 17.5. He also leads. So you mentioned, you'll notice that I didn't mention rebounds, right? Giannis or Jokic leads at 12.2. Giannis at 11.4. Luka at 8.8. SGA at 5.5. If you look at points plus rebounds plus assists, Luka leads in that category because he leads in the other two. He's at 52.7. Giannis is at 48.4. Jokic, 47.5. SGA, 43.1. If you look at, uh, I mentioned all the different scoring marks. 50 plus point, plus rebound, plus assist games this season. So the total of his points, rebounds, and assists, have they been 50 or higher in a game? Luka's done it 29 times. Giannis, 24. Jokic, 23. SGA, 8. Okay. Now let's look at one other, one other, or actually two other stats here, and then I wanna, I wanna really nail this home with one final point. Unassisted field goals. The reason why all this scoring stuff matters because you might be listening, you might be bored hearing me list out all these stats, and you might be listening to it and thinking, "Well, Andrew, the MVP is not just about scoring." Okay, Lucas scores a lot. He also has Kyrie Irving. Okay. Field goals made, the percent of those that are unassisted. So let me let me just rewind. Let me unpack that. Take all the field goals that you've made as a player. What percent of those have been unassisted? You've done them on your own, whether it's an isolation, whether it's a step back three. It has been you who has been getting that bucket, no assist attributed to it. Luca leads out of these four, 79.8. Next up is SGA at 75, and then a big drop off for the other two. Giannis is at 48. Jokic is at 42.6. Okay, but Andrew, what about some of the easy-to-track defensive stats? Obviously, Giannis is a better defender. SGA, people want to say he's the best, you know, one of the best defenders in the league. Okay, well, let's look at stocks, which is steals plus blocks in a game. Luka's not that far behind. Luka's at 2. Jokic is at 2.1. Giannis, 2.5. SGA, 3.1. So Luka gets steals in these games. He's 1.4 steals a game, 0.6 blocks per game. Luca, this is the best defensively he's been in his career. Um, he's locked in on that side of the floor. He's been awesome. Um, I want to nail it home with this. So he's leading in just about every offensive category. Why isn't he considered the favorite for the MVP? People will cite the record, which is silly considering how close it is. But it's also extra silly if you add literally just an ounce of context okay here's the context for you games missed by your supporting cast well andrew supporting cast that seems pretty arbitrary how did you define that well listener i'll tell you i define supporting cast by any player that has accounted for at least five percent of the total points scored by that team this season okay let me list out some of the players that make up actually I'll list for all four teams because it's not that many teams. Here are the players who have scored at least 5% of your team's points this season. Okay, so Dallas, obviously you have Luca, and then it's Tim Hardway Jr., Kyrie Irving, Derek Jones Jr., Jaden Hardy, Josh Green, Derek Lively, and Dante Exum. Okay. You'll notice that is omitting Maxi Kleber, who has missed 35 games. Okay, let's go to Denver. Here are the players who have scored at least 5% of their points this season. Nikola Jokic, Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon, Reggie Jackson, Contavious Codwell-Pope, Christian Braun, and Peyton Watson. Feels like that's kind of the main rotation, right, in Denver. Let's go to Milwaukee. You have Giannis, Damian Lillard, Bobby Portis, Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton, Malik Beasley. That's it, okay? That's kind of the main guys, right? I mean, it's leaving out Pat Connaughton. He's at 4%. It's leaving out, you know, Jay Crowder. Marshawn Beauchamp, you know, it's okay to leave those guys, leave those guys out. Let's go to Oklahoma City. Guys who have scored 5% or more of their points. Shea Gildas-Alexander, Jalen Williams, Chet Holmgren, Josh Giddy, Lou Dort, Isaiah Joe, Kaysen Wallace. Okay, so I think this is a good representation of who are your guys. Who are the guys who are key contributing factors to your team? Okay. Games missed by your supporting cast. 
For Luca, that number is 80. For Giannis, it's 18. For SGA, it's 13. For Jokic, it's 25. If you're doing math in the car right now, the sum of Giannis, SGA, and Jokic, the games missed by their supporting cast, is 56. Luca's supporting cast has missed 80 games. So Luca is leading in just about every offensive statistic and is only a handful of games back in team record despite his supporting cast missing more games than the other three combined. The question shouldn't be why Luca is the MVP. The question should be how could he possibly not be the MVP? Luca is the most dominant offensive player in basketball, and he has dragged an injury-ridden Mavs team up to this point. Ever since they traded for depth, they haven't lost. The Mavs also, moving forward, have the 21st easiest schedule in the NBA. It should be more nuanced than this, but I do think a lot of voters need the MVP to have a top-four seed to be considered. I think there's a chance the Mavs could still grab a top-four seed if you look at who they're competing against, and if they do, and Luca continues his unreal production, I do believe he will end up being the MVP. His odds currently, as of today, are plus 1,100. He's got the fourth best odds. The favorite, I believe, at minus 140 is Nikola Jokic. Luca at plus, plus 1,100 sorry, seems like a bargain. He's been the most valuable player of the season, and it would be a shame for a truly historic season to go without the warranted recognition. All right, coming back for the rest of the podcast, I am joined by Alex, uh, second week in a row where Alex and I are here holding on the fort here at Making the Call, and there's not a ton of like time-sensitive sports stories going on right now. NFL season is over, NBA is in the all-star break, uh, spring training is just now starting uh, for Major League Baseball, so what Alex and I have decided to do is we have each come ready with two stories to talk about two takes two questions two ideas uh to basically kick off the conversation and so we're just going to take turns alternating alex will start and then i'll go and then we'll just each knock out our two stories and so um we actually didn't plan it this way but one of our stories for both of us is about baseball and one of our stories is about basketball uh and so that's just kind of how it worked <laughs> out so you're, you're gonna have lots of baseball and basketball talk on uh, on this week's episode and you already heard you know, the intro of this week with the the case for Luca to win MVP. So uh, that's the plan. That's going to be the podcast this week. Alex, we will start with you. What is the first story you have come with uh, for this week's episode? All right. The uh, first story I came with, uh, it's pretty simple. I guess it's more of a question. What one move would you like to see your the Rangers make in your case before the end of spring training? And for my case, it would be the Mariners. Yes. So you're a Mariners uh, fan. I'm a Rangers fan. So yeah, what would you what would you say <laughs> for the Mariners? So for the Mariners, this one new move is that it's actually a fresh rumor from this weekend. Apparently, Matt Chapman and the Mariners have been in conversations with contracts and negotiations and all that. Which, in my opinion, I'd be all for. It would help shore up our depth. Infield wise, like third base right now, it's sort of a platoon between uh, Andrew Volk and I don't know some other guy, some prospect I don't even know the name of because we really don't have <laughs> much at third base right now. But he'd be bringing in, he's a career 240 hitter, pretty good uh, de defensive third baseman, though. I think, didn't he win gold glove last year? Wasn't that him? Uh, I believe he did. Yeah, here, I'll pull it up here. Yeah, so. His best ability is his glove. He's an okay hitter. Probably won't help going to Seattle to hit because it's just not a friendly uh, hitter-friendly ballpark. But overall, I'd like the move. I don't think he'd cost that much. Like uh, this over the weekend, Whit Merrifield uh, signed with the Philadelphia Phillies. He's a similar type third baseman for like one year, $8 million. A little older, so I think he's probably fishing for like a two-, three-year deal around $10 million a year, maybe. If he can squeak that out, I think it'd be closer to nine or eight, though. But overall, I think they should pull the trigger on that. It's not a big money move, and it's well within their range. Mm. 
Yeah, so you were right. So Chapman won the gold glove last year. Uh, it was his fourth gold glove of his career. Uh, he had won three when he was uh, mm. when he was with Oakland. Um, so he was with Toronto right. last year. But um, no, Chapman, I mean, so I guess that'd be a nice pickup for, for y'all. It would, it would definitely, you know, shore up your, your infield defense, I think. And, and he's a yes. decent bat, like you said, 240 batting average last year. 755 OPS, uh, only 17 homers and okay. 54 RBIs. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. What does does Chapman do anything for you in terms of your expectations for the 2024 Seattle Mariners? Mm, it probably bumps him up a tad bit, just because it's another bat that's not that you can sort of count on in the lineup in a great glove. But he's not a difference maker or anything like that, like a plus five WAR type of player. But he's still like a plus three, plus four, which is decent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, that'd be interesting. I mean, the, the the baseball free agency, I just think it's it's so weird, uh, right? Like there's yeah, they all need these... deadlines. So I saw okay. that I saw that being talked about. Are you of the are you oh, yeah. of the mind that yes, they need a they need a deadline here? Yeah, because right now it's just sort of the wild, wild west. Like, it'll happen when it happens, and like, it just it leaks into spring training. Now we still have a lot of guys with at homes: Cody Bellinger, uh, Blake Snell, a couple of notable names right there. So, yeah, I think there needs to be a deadline because deadlines make deals. We all know that. Okay, I mean, I guess the only, I guess if I'm like if I'm gonna defend why there wouldn't be a deadline is, oh, baseball owners are more slimy. I mean, well, okay, I would say NFL owners are probably the most slimy, followed by baseball. But I could very easily see a world where the baseball owners just kind of collude and say. Well, hey, let's just lowball all these uh, top free agents, and they're going to have to sign with one oh. of us. You know, if they want to, if they want to play That's this year, they're going to have to sign by the deadline. But yeah, uh, okay. I don't know. It is weird. It's like it's something that is, it's something that's unique to baseball, because NBA mm-hmm. free agency is over in about four minutes. Uh huh. NFL free agency is over in about two weeks and hockey. I imagine it doesn't take that long. I don't know for sure, but yeah, it's just, it's a weird quirk about baseball. So Matt Chapman is, is a move you'd like to see your, your M's do before, uh, before the season starts. Yes. Okay. So for the Rangers, I mean, I think it's an easy, easy answer. It's Jordan Montgomery. Like he's still one of the top free agents. They haven't re-signed him. He was great for the the postseason run uh, with Texas this past year, and I know they just got you know one year of their TV money figured out. But Chris Young did mention that the long term uncertainty there is impacting how they're operating this offseason. Which, if it was other teams, I would be a little more ticked off. But because the Rangers have spent so much the last two years. I'm not out here saying, oh, well, they need to go break the bank for a third consecutive season, you know? Um, right. But Montgomery, right. I mean, he's, how old is he? He's 31, so he's he's on the older side. But his curveball, he, he's, not, he's not a pitcher that relies on, like, raw strength. He doesn't have, you know, a plus fastball. His fastball sits in the low 90s. Um, his curveball is what kind of makes him so effective because it is just absolutely filthy. Um, and the yeah. way that he tunnels it makes it hard to pick up as a hitter. But he's the move for me. Like the the rotation is such a question mark, at least for the first half of the year. It's something I talked about last week. And if they yeah, could what go is get it, him. What is it right? As of right now, what is the rotation? Say opening day is tomorrow. Uh, Nathan Yavaldi. John Gray. Okay. Um, yeah. Dane Dunning, Cody Bradford, and Andrew Heaney. Yeah, those last two are iffy. Yeah. First three are solid. Um, 
But I mean, they're expecting to get Degrom, Scherzer, and Tyler Molly back at some point, right? Whether it's June or July or August for each of those three. So I mean, their help is on the who way is, in uh, some capacity. Who, Go ahead. Who's Tyler Molly? Uh, they signed him this year. He's a he's a free agent. He's oh, coming okay. off of, I believe, he's coming off of Tommy John from like a year ago. And so this is the, like halfway through this year is when they expect him to, to be ready to go. Um, so it's rough right now without those three, especially without, you know, DeGrom or Scherzer. But uh, that's why if you can go, if you can go re-sign Montgomery, your top two is anchored by Yavaldi and Montgomery. And then you use the other guys to fill out the rest. And then you're just buying time for, Scherzer, DeGrom, and Molly to come back. And now you've got tons of options. You've got tons of injury protection. You've got all that. So he's the move yeah. for me. Yeah. Oh, see why not? Yeah. Free barbecue. Yeah, Hurtado's offered him free barbecue for life. That's right. Uh, all right. I'll do my next one, and we'll keep it in the theme of baseball. So this news came out Ooh. a few days ago that Rob Manfred is stepping down in 2029, and yes, I I don't know about you, Alex, but I've never wanted to <laughs> time travel forward five years more in my life. <laughs> just no, yeah, just... but we'll make a quick stop at the World Cup in 2026, and then zoom on through. Yeah, see, there you go, <laughs> uh, and U.S. Olympics in I believe L.A. in 2028. That'll be fun, but. So Manfred's stepping okay, down yeah. in 2029. Uh, I take that to mean he's got five years to change the perception of his tenure into something that resembles even an ounce of positivity. Uh, let me, I, I uh -oh. literally, I came up with all of these things just off the top of my head. I didn't have to go pull articles of, you know, all the things that happened in Rob Manfred's tenure because they're all very public, very, you know, top of mind. So these are just the things yes. that's happened. Keep in mind, he took over as commissioner in 2015. So he's had nine years in the job. Um, most famously, the poor handling of the Houston Astros cheating scandal. Didn't punish any of the players. Uh, referred to the World Series trophy as a piece of metal. Not a great uh. look for Mr. Rob. Uh, you had the 2021-2022 lockout. Which he, I mean, granted, he does work for the owners, but he managed to implement a competitive balance tax, which essentially establishes establishes a salary cap while not having a cap floor. So it's the best of both worlds for the cheap owners, worst of both worlds for the athletes. Uh, it's been helping with the move of the A's from Oakland to Las Vegas, something that seemingly only one Sad. man wants, and that's A's owner, John Fisher. No one else yep. wants it. Nope. Now, most recently... The new jerseys are being made by Fanatics, and they have managed oh. to equally piss off both the players and the fans. Yeah. They look and like then, uh, giveaway jerseys. Yeah. It, they look so gross. <laughs> they look so gross. Um, no more stitches, like the printed-on lettering. What the heck? It's all just ironed on. It's just like a press. It's so cheap. You can get more high-quality yep. ones overseas from China. It's ridiculous. And then also the, uh, the debacle of Bally yeah. and the regional sports networks and the way that's affected fans for the past several years and all the uncertainty there. Um, I will give him some credit. The one positive of his time as commissioner is the new rule changes. You know, the pitch clock, the ghost runner on extra innings, the pickoff limits. You know, the game has become more excited getting rid of this or at least limiting the shift. Like the game is more fun. It's faster. It's, you know, shorter, all that stuff. Um, my question for you, Mr. Alex, after I laid all that stuff out, uh -huh. after I've laid out, you know, the first nine years of Manfred's tenure, what could Manfred do mm. over these next five years to change his perception as a commissioner? Because a lot of people would regard him as the worst commissioner in the four major sport leagues in, in America. So what could he do in these next five years to change that? It's that's easy. And the blackouts. Make it more accessible for fans. Like, all you'd have to do is buy an MLB.TV subscription, and you have all 30 teams available for you to watch. 
You took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, I completely agree. (laughs) If he figures out the TV stuff, I'll give him a passing grade. You know, like if, like you said, if it's MLB.TV, you log on, you can have a a single team package where you can say, okay, I just want to pay, I don't know, 70 bucks and I can watch all the Rangers games regardless of where they are. Or if you say, okay, I want to pay 150 bucks or 175 bucks and I can watch every game for every team. Just make it simple. Think of the fans. Do everything in the mindset of what makes this a better fan experience and your sport will grow. Same with your popularity. Yes. I don't know. Fans of... I remember that. I think there was a couple years ago in the World Series. Fans were really screaming at him at his suite. And the the blackouts, Rob. And he did. Yeah, he didn't look too pleased, but I don't know if he wants to be more popular. That's an easy, easy choice. It just, yeah, it seems like there's a lot of things. It seems like baseball in the Rob Manfred era, baseball continues to just get in its own way. They don't take the they don't take the easy wins. You know, they 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 butcher these these PR disasters. They they don't market the sport well. Um, you know, they will have this, what was it? There was something that happened there. Oh, it was the, it was the MLB award show. And it just happened on this random, like Friday night in the middle of January and, or it was like Hell November yeah. and it was like, no one knew it was happening. No it's ads. Like, no. Yeah. N- yeah. They need like, like... A, a marketing <laughs> guru to just run all of that for, for major league baseball. I'm sure they so. could find some people on TikTok to do it. Like, <laughs> come on. Yeah. I'm All sure, right. Like, what's the, your uh, What's your next right story? Or, oh, my yeah. Go ahead. If you had something story, else, if not, what's your next story? I mean, I was just sort of topping on like the current ad execs right now are probably like 50 year olds, boomers. Like that's probably yeah. the problem. It's like anytime you have uh, one of these uh, tech, you know. Tycoons testify in front of Congress, whether it's Zuckerberg or the guys from Google or whoever. And the questions that these like congressmen ask them, they're like, Oh, Mr. Zuckerberg, if you don't, if you don't have a, a paid subscription model, how do you make money off of Facebook? (laughs) And Zuckerberg's Mm -hmm. like, well, Mr. Congressman, we sell ads. That's we have ad revenue. Have you ever heard of it? It's it's just laughable. <laughs> I I think I got one more thing that could help with his uh, popularity and overall tenure too. Okay, can he do anything about the way the Hall of Fame is voted on and who gets to vote on the Hall of Fame Ooh. and how long you get to hold that vote for? Because we got a lot of old heads that need to go. Their time is done. Speak on it. I mean, I don't know if he can do that because it's a lot of the Baseball Writers Association stuff that could get a little tricky. But if he can, that would be another easy fix. I, I'm so And maybe so just glad. add Barry Bonds. <laughs> yeah, add Barry Bonds in too. I'm so glad you mentioned that because you're absolutely right. The Baseball Hall of Fame voting process is a joke. The fact that... It is. You can only vote for – here's the thing that I think is crazy is you have a a limit, on, a limit on how many people you can vote for, but you don't have a minimum limit. And so you have these – you have a handful of writers that sum, submit a blank ballot every year out of protest because their favorite steroid user is not in the Hall of Fame. And it's like it's messing up the possibilities for – or well, it's messing up higher percentages for guys like – Adrian Beltre or Joe Maurer, but it's also preventing guys from like Gary Sheffield Jr. from getting in. And it's it's just pathetic. Like there's Yeah, sad. There needs to be some sort of screening process because specifically you have these old, you know, white haired beat writers who have covered their team for 35 years. And they only watch their team and they're supposed to vote on the entire baseball hall. And it's like, they will, they will make these, 
inexcusable omissions on their ballots. And they're like, oh, well, like there was the there was that old fart from Boston who left off Adrian Beltre and his explanation was, well, I just didn't think Adrian Beltre was, you know, he wasn't must see TV like a guy like Ted Williams. And it's like, dude, if you're if your line for who should get into the Hall of Fame is Ted Williams, there's like six people in the Hall of Fame. And that's it. That that and Adrian Beltre tore it up in Boston for one year too. What yeah. is this guy was just... <laughs> It's like, oh, you don't think the guy who's uh, like one of the best third base like one of probably the top three third basemen of all time shouldn't get in the Hall of Fame? It... I'm gonna get all uh, riled up about this. It's yeah. ridiculous. Term but limits. I completely agree. <laughs> if they can fix that, if they can I don't know. I was I was listening to another baseball podcast and they were talking about talking about it and they were trying to figure out what they could do to fix it and there was someone made someone had the idea of if you don't vote for someone who is like 95 who gets like 95% of the vote on their first ballot and if you don't vote for them that's like a strike and if you do that 3 times you lose your vote because oh yeah so three three blank cards and you're out yeah or if you like you know let's say you didn't vote for adrian beltre and then next year you don't vote for ichiro and like if you have like three consecutive years where you don't vote for the guy who's like a who should pretty much be a unanimous hall of famer you lose your vote because it's so this is another thing that drives me nuts about the baseball hall of fame is there such this like mystical aura around being a unanimous hall of famer because isn't it only Mar- mariano rivera he's the only one who was unanimous uh, i think so yeah, let me see pretty sure um unanimous Maybe baseball hall of fame some of the old guys so let's see mariano yeah so mariano rivera was the only one um who's got 100 percent. Derek jeter got 99.7 he got 396 out of 397 votes so one person left him off which is kind of funny uh ken griffey jr didn't get three votes so he was 99.3 oh uh tom siever 98.8 nolan ryan 98.8 he didn't get six votes cal ripken jr 98.5 so like all these guys should have been unanimous, but there's this weird mystical aura. The fact that Mariano Rivera got it—that is like, oh no, we can't. He, no one else can be unanimous. Can't do it again. It's like, it's like, no, guys. It's yeah. it's a simple question: Is this guy a Hall of Famer? Yes or no? <laughs> yeah, drives me nuts. Uh, drives writers. Me nuts. All right, over to you, Alex. What's your second story? Okay, so my second story is sort of just a quick question about our young rookie star center, Derek Lively. So just a quick little uh, bio on Derek. He was the uh, number two recruit in the country out of high school in 2022, went to Duke. I have no idea what Duke did with him for a year, but uh, they sort of tanked his draft stock down to, well, we got him at 12, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, they tanked his draft stock down to 12, which, honestly, thank you, Duke. But, man, that is also – who's their coach now for Duke? Uh, he's John really Shireman, making, right? Yeah, yeah. He's really making Coach K look good because Derek Lively should have been <laughs> a 20-10 and 10 player in college. Mm-hmm. And what was he, like 9-5 and five or something? Yeah, just he did not have a good year but Anyways. Duke. Yeah, but anyways, he's found a home here with us. He's in basketball heaven with um, Luca. He's just got to find a way to stay on the court a little bit more. But right now, his stats are sitting at nine points a game, eight rebounds a game, 74% from the floor. So he's basically just catching lobs, getting rebounds. So my question to you, after the Rising Stars game this weekend he was in, how good can Derek Lively get before he before we have to pay him after his rookie deal is up? Ooh, how good can Derek Lively get before we have yes. to pay him? So, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer your question in a little bit of a different way because I think the Mavs are clearly gonna pay him. 
I think they've been searching for a center since Tyson Chandler. And with all the effusive praise that Luca has given on Derek Lively and now Daniel Gafford, like this, this dude has been starving for a quality center his entire career. And now he is sitting at the Thanksgiving table. They're not going to (laughs) mess that up. So no, I want to like, okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to change my answer to more so like how good can Derek Lively get? Like what's kind of his ceiling? And honestly, I think a realistic ceiling for him and people who don't watch basketball a lot, or if maybe they only watch the the Mavs, they might not, they might not think this is a big compliment, but especially this year, I think yeah. it is. I think a realistic ceiling for him is Jared Allen. Ooh. Yeah. What's he like because, an 18 and 10 type? So here I'm pulling up uh, the like stat head player comparison right now. Um, so we can uh-huh. see, but I, when I think I, they, they play a very similar version of basketball. Derek Lively is obviously bigger. He's got more of the measurables um, than Jared Allen does, but here, let's do, you want to do it. Let's do Jared out. Let's do both of them just for this year. Because I would say this is probably the best year of Jared Allen's career. Um, so if we compare their stats, Jared Allen is he's fifteen and ten. Lively right now is a nine and eight. Um, he's also got almost three assists. Uh, he's got two blocks a game. Lively's got two blocks a game. Um, Lively does have a higher field goal percentage. Jared Allen's a little bit better of a free throw shooter. Um, and Jared Allen is like the defensive anchor on that Cavs team, especially whenever Mobley went out. Yeah. Like they were funneling everything through him and he was I mean, a great great I mean, he still he is a great defensive center. So, I don't know. I kind of see him as like a realistic ceiling. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think I agree. Like that would be the perfect type of player around Luka. I think 15. I think with Luka, he could be pushing 20. Like maybe not 20, but 18 and 9 or 10. I think okay. that's really realistic in about two years, especially with his development and the uh, muscle and just overall build he's going to gain over the next couple off seasons, working out with Tyson Chandler, all that. Like, I think <laughs> he's going to be a really exciting player. Yeah. I'm trying to think of some other like current center. Hops oh, for oh him. We, we didn't even bring up if he can bring in to his game, his corner shooting three uh, three ability like if he can hover around that 32 to 35 percent from three like that's in, that's pretty good for a big man mm. and luca's gonna get you a lot of open looks if you sort of tread out to the corner i'd, I'd like that a lot i think that'd be so nice. do you know what he would become if he added like a, a three-point shot to his game <laughs> brooke lopez is it uh, okay, I was going to say, is it the guy who has a statue outside the, the building? <laughs> oh, <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> I think he could be, I think if he added a little more shooting to his game, he could be Brooke Lopez because, so Brooke Lopez, he didn't have as much of a shooting. Well, so like for him, it's interesting. Like you look like his early years with the Nets, he was 20 and eight. Um, but he wasn't shooting, he didn't shoot threes. And then he kind of added a three point shot later on to where now he's, you know, he's been on Milwaukee and he's obviously not like a, the main guy there. Right. So he doesn't get as many, he doesn't really catch lobs. That's more of Giannis, but, um, he's like, what is he? Okay. Maybe Brooke Lopez, Brooke Lopez isn't a good comp because he's not getting the rebounds. I take that one back. So man, but he's a big guy who shoots. Yeah. I mean, I guess ceiling ceiling is cat. Right? Way better defender though. Cat's a lousy way better defender. defender, mate. Just way better defender and probably just not as prolific as a scorer just cuz he's playing with Luka. Yeah. So I'm trying to think but if this... he can shoot like cat. Yeah. This is kind of a good a good thought exercise. What's like the what's the the low ceiling, the mid ceiling, and the high ceiling for Lively? Because I think Jared Allen is like the mid ceiling. 
I think probably the low ceiling is probably what, like a Clint, Clint Capella type? Ah, that's the exact name I was thinking. Like a 12 to 14 point type of guy with 10 rebounds every night. Like a decent double-double, but nothing to, yeah. nothing crazy. Maybe goes yeah, off every what's the, couple weeks. What's like the, the best case scenario for Derek Lively? If like everything works out and it, I'm, I don't even know if there's, I don't even know if there's like a player in the NBA now that would be a good comp there. So I'm trying to think of guys who maybe played earlier, but um, yeah, cause he's, you just sort of got all different types of skill sets and it's its own little concoction, you know? Yeah. I think, I think ceiling is probably, he's just an all-star, like maybe not every single year, but. Out of five years, he's an all-star three times, you know, something like that. Mm. I could see that. I mean, I think I think the takeaway that... from all this – go ahead. I was just also going to say, like, outside of Anthony Davis, there's not that many awesome centers in the uh, West to compete with for votes, like I guess Cat. But other than those two, like, sort of open field. Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, you got Anthony Davis for the Lakers, but um, if Derek Lively turned into an Anthony Davis, that'd be incredible. I don't know if that'll happen, oh, yeah. but that, yeah, that might be a little too much. Yeah, maybe <laughs> you know, maybe. Hold on, I'm gonna pull one other player into my player comparison here. Bam Adebayo. Let's take a look. Sorta, of, it's just Bam's Bam's like six ten or six nine at best. <laughs> okay, maybe but other maybe than Bam, that, maybe his <laughs> best case scenario is like a taller Bam because Bam's twenty and ten this year with four assists and like I like some of the playmaking stuff I've Whoa. seen from Lively. So maybe that's best case scenario, just like a a lankier Bam out of bio. I mean, if he can play that physical or as physical as Bam on defense too, with that length, whew, that'd yeah. be nice. Which okay, before any people come to us in the comments and say we're being homers, we're talking about the best case scenario ceiling for Derek Lively. Yeah, we're not Just saying Derek Lively is going to be Bam out of bio next year. This is like if he yeah. develops to the peak of his ability. He could be Bam Adebayo. So, um, I mean, you, you like you originally asked about them paying him. There's no question they don't pay him, right? Down the road. I mean, unless he's just getting injured, missing fifty plus games every year, something stupid like that. Yeah, I don't think there's a question. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I just think. The thing is, though, is like with centers, unless you're one of the – basically, unless you're like a legit offensive threat, like you can do some creation on yourself, you know, whether you're a Carl Anthony Towns or you're a Jokic or an Embiid or if you're just like literally the best defensive center in the league, like of Rudy Gobert, centers don't make – it's rare for a center who's not one of like the top five, uh, like not one of those top five guys to get a max contract. You know what I mean? Like what contract? Yeah, did... I don't, I don't. What contract did Clint Capella get? Wasn't he like 20 million a year? I feel like he was like 20 million a year. 20, 25, um, probably. Yeah. Two year, $45 million dollar contract. So there you go. Yeah. By the time Lively is up for a deal, though, it'll probably be more like around 30, 35 million a year number just because all the money's going up every single year, you know? Yeah, but then Luca will be making like max contracts. So it'll seem like pennies. Yeah, yeah, max contracts will be 77 million a year and stupid numbers like yeah. that. So, okay. Uh, all right, you ready for my last story? Let's do it. Okay, so I'm staying in the NBA, but thinking more broader terms. And the I'm going to start off with a question, and then I'm going to give you my my solution to it, and then I want to hear your th I want to hear your thoughts, and then I want to hear any ideas you might have. 
So the question is, how do we fix the NBA? And the reason why I'm asking that question is viewership ratings on the actual games are down. If you pay attention to any like NBA press releases, it's all about like total engagement. So they're looking at like users on their app, the NBA YouTube, the NBA TikTok, the Twitter account. Yeah. They really yeah. avoid the ratings question. And it's because their ratings for their actual games are going down. Christmas Day has just gotten taken over by the NFL. It's not an NBA thing anymore. It's the NFL. Yeah. Uh, it took one year for that to happen. Uh, regular season is <laughs> becoming less and less important. All-Star Weekend was this past weekend. Um, Alex, this is yeah, a safe space. Garbage. How many minutes of All-Star Weekend did you watch? Uh, none. Z zero. <laughs> I, I saw some clips on Twitter. I did not flip to it once. Although I did see all the Kenny Smith stuff with uh, Steph and uh, Sabrina. Sabrina and all that, which was, which was sort of funny. But other than that, not much. Yeah. I watched, I think, maybe five minutes. I watched, like, some of the three-point contests. I just, like, like, Becca and I were watching something else, and I just, like, threw it up on my phone. And then I watched, like, the stuff in Serena, or Sabrina the same way. Um, and then, okay, so All-Star Weekend, lost any sense of intrigue. National discourse, I think, has never been worse because it's all pretty much rings, culture, and player trade demands. Like, there's very little actual basketball content being discussed on these ESPN shows and, and things like that. Here's my solution. There's too many games. There's too many games in the sense that people don't care about the regular season and the players don't care about the regular season because they miss all these games to where they had to put in a minimum game requirement for all NBA. And from the way some of these players have talked about that, you would have thought that they NBA asked each player to give up one of their kidneys. So my solution, 65 games in the regular season. And the regular season goes from December through April. Okay. Right now, it starts like middle of October. We don't need meaningless yeah. NBA games during college football in the start of the NFL season. Started in December. Nah. You basically have like a few weeks to build up and then you do your big Christmas Day slate. And that's like, you know, game 20 or whatever of the, uh, or no, that's sorry. That's like game 10 or 15 of the NBA season. 10. Yeah. yeah. So that's five months. You would play three times a week. You would never have a back-to-back. -back. You would play either. Yeah, and just add the, just add just the two add months what? for the playoffs. So seven months. Just add exactly. the two months for the playoffs after that. So scheduling during the week, you would play either Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, uh -huh. Saturday. And you could structure it. And that's basically throughout football season, you don't have NBA games on Sundays. Don't even bother. You're not going to compete with the NFL. Do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And then once the Super Bowl ends, you can add in some marquee Sunday games that are like on ABC or something that are these big matchups. Sure. Do that. Yeah. Lead up to Pull the Pull the trade deadline like in one week earlier. Make trade deadline and that dead week after the conference championships before the Super Bowl. So it's not the Super Bowl preview week. It's that one week beforehand because you have the two weeks in between. Um, and then you would not have. Okay, so here's the other kicker on the, on the scheduling of those games. On all the weeknight games, you could actually do it for every day if you wanted. But for the weeknight games specifically, stagger each start time by 10 minutes. So you have a game that starts at 6, a game that starts at 6.10, 6.20, 6.30, 6.40, all the way through you know, to the 9 o'clock game or whatever on the West Coast. Maybe it's 15 minutes, maybe it's 20 minutes, but stagger it so that you can basically, it's kind of like March Madness, where if you're yeah. flipping around League Pass, you watch the fourth quarter of this game, and then you switch over to the final five minutes of this game, and then the final five minutes of this game, and you just, you're watching crunch time. And yeah, and they could even bring in like a red zone type package, like call it crunch time. They start with the first game, the last five minutes, and then you just move down the line. Exactly. Fun. Exactly. Uh, all of this, I think, makes regular season games more meaningful. It avoids the NFL during NFL season. 
and it creates a consistent schedule to follow. You don't have any back-to-backs, which players hate. You're basically just playing every other day, and then you'll get you know an extra day off or whatever on the weekend. And then finally, one, one more thing. Fixing the playoffs. This is just like a small scheduling quirk that maybe it only drives me nuts, but I want to fix it anyways. Never have more than one day between games, especially if you're not traveling. The annoying, like the annoyance of you have two home games and then you have two days off in between. What are we doing? Just play every other day, no matter what. <laughs> Roll through the playoffs. We don't need a seven-game playoff series lasting uh, three weeks. Uh, 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 uh. Hold on. I'm going to push back on that just because the playoffs are a whole nother game, my friend. It is grueling 48 minutes everyone's at their neck like the defense is different from the regular season i think the ground and pound of the two-month playoff stretch they need those two days especially when we're talking we're down to the finals in june they've already been through like the two months from the first round on like i think they need that rest and i don't mind waiting too because it sort of just builds that anticipation you're along for the ride the ride sort of stretched out there too so it's like a fun ride it's like a fun two months leading into the summer you know okay could i get you on board for removing two off days if you're not traveling how about first round we don't need those off days let's get let's get through the first round and then when the real grind starts we can we can implement more off days you know okay all right all right all right I I can concede that. I'm 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 a reasonable guy, Alex. I'm willing to have some concessions here. Um That's nice. But those are my Wish ideas to fix the NBA. First off, before I get your ideas on how to fix the NBA, what do you think? Hmm. My ideas? Well, no, Let what do you think see. about all those ideas for a 65 game schedule, never oh. having back to back, all that stuff? I personally wouldn't really care if they just eliminated basically that first month and a half of the season because like you said if if i'm not going to one of those games in the first month and a half i'm not watching i mean i watched the opening night game but other than that it's not appointment tv until about december anyways i just think some of the players would push back the stat pushers and all that like well how am i gonna catch this record with less games and you know stuff like that would be brought up but Overall, I think 65 is probably a still a pretty good number. But um, overall, how I would change the NBA? Yes. That is a good question. Hmm. I think we need to look at the officiating a bit. Mm. Bring back hand checking and just a little bit more physical defense. Because it seems like any time someone goes down the lane and just gets bumped, it's a foul. They're going to the line. We're stopping play. We're going to commercial, all that. And it just gets annoying, especially in the playoffs. Those last five minutes, they take 45 minutes. It's just, it's, it's grueling. It's a grind. It takes away from the flow of the game. Like fans don't like it. Nobody likes it. Like I'm sure the refs don't like getting booed and hearing that they suck from 20,000 people a night, you know, like mm-hmm. I think it would help the refs too, if they were allowed to be a little bit more lenient on the whistle. Yeah. I think that would be my number one change to the game. Like overall, if they want to play 82, like go ahead, play 82. Like I'm still going to watch, but the whistle is the number one point for yeah. point with me. I, I think that's a great call. Um, that's something that the refs aren't very good at doing is having a great call, but I think you nailed it there that the, the fouls that they give these offensive players is just, infuriating yeah and just all the little ways that the offensive players have learned to like lean into the fouls and like create contact and all that crap it's just too many loopholes it's too one-sided it's not fair there should be some discretion with the refs where like in football we have the term football move right where if you're trying to secure the catch yeah and it's like, if you made a football move, like that counts as like, you know, you have to make three of those or whatever to secure the catch. If the offensive player does something that is not deemed a basketball move, they shouldn't get the foul. There you so go. So if they're, if they're driving to the basket like and they've got the defender perpendicular to them over here on their side, 
and they just shove their shoulder into his chest and then they flop and they, you know, throw up a haphazard shot attempt. Don't give them, don't give them that. That's not, they were not trying to yeah. shoot that shot. Don't give it to them. Yeah. It's gotta be just like a natural movement, like sort of how uh soccer does it with the handball. Like if your hand just happens to naturally move up and ball hits it, that's not a handball. But if you move your hand up like that, to try and block the ball, that's an obvious handball. It's a penalty. Exactly. So I think there could be they could clean it up that way and just say, dude, if you're if you're doing if you're having an act that is not a basketball move, if you're not if that's not a normal way you would drive or shoot the ball, yeah. I'm not giving you that call. I'm sorry. That would clean it up so much. And they should reverse it. They should reverse it and give it give the call to the defense, and you like you get the ball back and all that. Yeah, and maybe if you do it like two times, it could be a tech, and then three times double tech, you're out. Mm-hmm. No, I like it. I like it, man. This was a uh, a crisp and clean uh, podcast this week. Uh, we fixed the NBA. Yeah, we gave Rob Manfred some we tips did. on how to be a better uh, commissioner. We talked about Derek Lively's ceiling, and we got some some nice players for our favorite baseball teams. How about that? I got. I got. I think I got one more fun five-minute segment for you. Okay. All right. NCAA football is back, baby. We got the official announcement. <laughs> fun little uh, Twitter post. They'll have the uh, full trailer in May, but it's coming. It's real. It'll be here in July, and I, I can't wait. I got a PS5. I'm ready to go. Like that's gonna be that'll make football season come by so much quicker because the game's gonna come out in mid July and we'll just be playing that until college football starts. It's gonna be like old times, dude. I'm so excited for that game. <laughs> it's gonna, gonna be. Yeah, I'm excited to see how all the stadiums look in the next gen and just all the new graphics and stuff. It's gonna be awesome. I don't know if they've confirmed this or not, but I am hoping and praying that they have the mascot game. Again, oh, where yeah. you could be like the Stanford trees going up against the Syracuse oranges. <laughs> like, I just, I need that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be so fun. I'm excited for that. That's going to be great. I did see one thing that they're actually going to have real FCS teams. Like, it won't just be like FCS Southwest. It'll actually be the real school and stuff like that. So that'll, that's something new and fun. So I could be the UNT Mean Green and climb the ranks get you know well they're they're d1 they're just low d1 so what like so okay USA. so which teams are you talking about with fcs like not division one <laughs> um like division one double a like uh north dakota okay. state south dakota state ah, those guys. okay yeah do you think are they gonna have will they have uh like legacy rosters or like, will you be able to play with Ooh. guys who are not currently in college? Well, I bet you like, there'll be like guys that make legacy rosters that you could download or import like 2017, 2016, 2018, yeah. like on down the list. I'm sure someone's got to make that. Cause I want to be, don't do it themselves. I want to be Josh Allen on South Dakota state. Just, <laughs> Throwing piss rockets. Uh, well, no, no, no. Why, Wyoming. But yeah. Is he Wyoming? Okay. Josh Allen yeah, Wyoming. Yeah. That's what I want. That's what I want. Be, or just uh, even like uh, Lamar Jackson on on Louis- Louisville? Louisville or uh, <laughs> Mahomes at per- Tech. I mean, obviously Baker. Ooh. Baker versus Mahomes. You could just replay that game. Yeah. The 70 to like 66. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's that's gonna, gonna be, be awesome. Fun. I'm excited. Yeah, no, I'm hyped. Immediate for that. It's purchase. gonna be great. Uh, all right. Well, all right. That is gonna Good do pod. it for this week's episode of Making the Call. Uh, thank you, of course, to twenty nine. Yeah, twenty nine weeks, folks, until football comes back. Twenty nine weeks. So twenty nine. 29 more making the call episodes and then we'll be back in football. Hey, but there next we week we have, I believe next week we have the whole crew on. So it'll be all five of Ooh. us. So we'll have some fun That'll things in episode. store there. 
Yeah, and... we're gonna do some. We're definitely gonna do some uh, non-sports stuff for sure. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so we will. We will definitely still be cranking it out uh, during during the off season. And I, I mentioned it in the intro, but if you're listening on Spotify, you can now not only listen, but you can also watch on Spotify because our video podcasts are now live. So if you don't catch us live on YouTube, go into the Spotify app and you can watch the video version of these podcasts every single week, uh, which is, which will be a lot of fun. So that'll do it for this week's episode of making the call the dad joke this week, Alex. Um, it's actually, I got, it's like some somber news. My, um, my best friend who, who stutters, uh, died in prison today. Poor guy didn't even finish his oh, sentence. No. <laughs> That's good. That's you good like one. that one. You I like that one. one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope everyone has a fantastic rest of the week. We will be back next week, Monday night, 7 p.m. on YouTube, Tuesday morning on Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcast. Hope you all have a fantastic rest of your week, and we will see you next time.